Hey everyone. Hey. <laughs> Welcome to Too Legit to QT, where you can get it done with Tish. Tish. Yeah. And we are come up with me, Koya. We are so excited today to talk to someone who is just making um, a tremendous impact and tremendous change in the entertainment industry, the Vice President of Social Impact at Viacom, Melissa C. Potter Monsanto. Welcome to the show, Melissa. <laughs> Thank you for having me both. I love the show. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, when I think of you, I think of you're the epitome of black girl magic. So I just had to put it out there. Um, like I said earlier in our in our green room, I've, I've read some of your interviews, I've watched some of your interviews, and you literally just have a heart to help people and you're doing it through entertainment. So um, just congratulations, super proud of you for all the work that you're doing, Queen. So much, thank you so much. Of all the compliments I think I've received, that one just, it means the most to me because I'm here to represent for us in spaces where we are not often found. Yes, that's so beautiful, Melissa. Uh, well, I, I wanted to ask you, what inspired your unique career in entertainment and social justice? Because you have a very like specific career. I, I mean, I don't even know if that's even a traje trajectory. Like if you get out of school and you're like, I'm gonna be the, uh, Vice President of Social Impact. Right? Um, <laughs> so what inspired your career in entertainment and social justice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My parents said the same thing. <laughs> no, happy to share. My, my parents said the same thing when I'm like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. What does that mean? We don't know what this means. Go to grad school. Uh, take your LSAT, which I did and did horribly. Um, so how did I come into this space? I, from a very young age, had a passion for entertainment. At the age of 16, I linked up with a friend of my dad's who was one of the DJs on Def Jam's roster at the time. And so he would let me kind of shadow him, go into Manhattan, pick up his crates. You know, at the time they were actual records. Um, and get to network and, and see what was happening on the entertainment scene. And during one of those visits, I had the opportunity to meet uh, a gentleman named Rob who was looking for someone to lead college promotions in the New England area. So I had just gotten accepted to Northeastern University um, where I was going to be a music industry major. And so it was perfectly aligned with getting to welcome talent to the New England region, Boston, Rhode Island, um, going up to New Hampshire and meeting them at the airport, folks like Method Man and Joe Budden at the time, Jay-Z, uh, and seeing them through their kind of time in the sticks of <laughs> rural New England um, with radio interviews and concerts and other appearances at college campuses. And, you know, I started to say, wow, you know, I, I, I was right. Music business is actually what I want to focus on. As I continued my schooling, I got to take a few electives in sociology. And I was like, you know, I'm actually really interested in the study of people and culture. Um, but what I could do, because Northeastern was a five-year school where for four years, 
six months out of the year, you went to traditional classroom school and six months out of the year, you had cooperative education experiences. So I decided to do all of my co-op experiences in the music and entertainment business, but switch my major, get my degree in sociology. So it was from that age where the synergy of kind of social impact and entertainment began to take shape. Um, and from there, spent a few years uh, as an entertainment publicist and, you know, working with a lot of amazing acts, The Roots and Wynton Marsalis and A Tribe Called Quest. And I recognized that with Black acts, hip hop in particular, uh, you ran the, the chance that there might be some criminal justice affiliated activities and those are what would be on the cover of the New York Post and the Daily News and, you know, your Perez Hilton at the time. So I wanted to find a way to counter the bad press with good. Mm -hmm. And that was through social justice alignment with nonprofit organizations, doing your Thanksgiving Day turkey drives with the rappers and going back to their hometowns and working with the roots and getting to do live music in the elementary school system in the city of Philadelphia. And I said, you know, there's something here. There, there's something to it where folks can use their superpower, which is entertainment and talent, but get to do good for the communities that they know and love. Um, and from there, I was like, you know what, let me see what the nonprofits actually need so that when I I'm able to put my celebrity entertainment hat back on. I actually know how we can best help them gain a following and build a war chest of resources. So spent some time uh, with the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and the ACLU. And from there, social impact actually had a name at that point. Now, 12 to 15 years later, in my career. And now I get to merge both worlds excitedly um, at Viacom CBS with all of our incredible shows and brands from MTV, Comedy Central, Logo, and the like. That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how can you top that story? I'm sorry. Like, who? <laughs> it was a lot of happenstance, but I knew that would be strategic. Right. It's like you were being intentional while walking in purpose. We were we talk about Absolutely. that a lot about being intentional about what you want to do. But it seems like you knew your you knew specifically what your purpose was um, to impact people within social justice. But you used it. You used your platform of entertainment and your connections within entertainment to carry out your purpose, because I do remember a shift with like celebrities and rappers where they were doing like backpack, like giving backpacks away yeah. and doing turkey drives. And it seemed like it just came out of nowhere, but that's intentional marketing, you know, which is really great um, because just being a black man in America, you know, I mean, marijuana wasn't legal, now it's legal, but you still have black men who are still in jail and incarcerated yeah. for that. So yeah. it's like, yeah, maybe somebody did have a pass and they decided to like turn their life around and get into entertainment and, you know, put out a single and it, and it maybe went viral. And that's what they're doing with their life. Why should they have to steal 
live with their past. Like, no, we like should all be able to move forward. So that's really um, incredible that you were able to do that and just allow yeah. black men to be seen or women to be seen in a positive light or, or, mm -hmm. or men or women of color. Um, yeah. Let's see. So you talked specifically about um, your kind of process. I read an article about your dating process um, with uh, organizations. So um, I read an article that said that you joined United Way's board serve program and you did a three hour orientation to learn the inner workings of nonprofit boards. And um, and I remember in the article it said that it, that shared your information with various organizations, and then you specifically use the language the dating process began, which I think is very interesting because sometimes people are like, I just need a job, I just need a job, like give me a job. But within that interview, you talked about specifically wanting to work at a company um, that spoke to the heart of causes that you were very passionate about, but also who you were also open to receive like criticism and work within their organizations to build. Um, what advice can you give artists and entrepreneurs on being more in intentional in navigating their careers and in networking? Okay, I think there oh, might be. Oh, yes. Well, if we think of dating in the traditional sense, you know your self-worth, I think it's very similar and applicable to the career you know, realm and the path that you hope to take. Take an inventory of where you shine, know what assets you have that distinguish you from other candidates and don't feel like there is a limited pool of opportunity. There is so much, no matter how small your city is, I am sure that there are opportunities out there. And now we're in a virtual space where you can go beyond you know, your 10 mile radius and look for jobs that truly speak and appreciate who you are and what you offer. Um, and don't get blinded by money or need because if you manifest, which I truly believe in, and you take this personal inventory and you allow your talents to shine, someone's going to be attracted to that. So don't ever settle. And as we know in dating, it's the same thing. Don't settle. It's not worth it in the end. It never, ever, ever pays off. That's some great advice. <laughs> don't settle. You know, it's, yes. it's, really, it's really interesting too, um, because I think about a lot of, um, I think about a lot of artists and I remember we did an article um, not too long ago, um, an article, we did a, <laughs> we did an interview not too long ago with Andy Fickman and he mentioned that if I can tell you that, you know, you shouldn't do this, then you don't need to do it at all. Um, and I think what he mentioned a little bit on that show is that you have the ability to create the life that you want to create, but you can't allow people to get in the way of doing that for you. So mm -hmm. is, there, is there a time in your career where you felt like um, people were trying to stop you from going down this, this path of um, social justice and entertainment? So I won't say specific to the path, but I will say there's been times in pre Me Too era entertainment where, you know, I was actually told by someone that 
Though I was the most qualified, they wanted the sound of a white male's voice answering their phone. Um, Interesting. Recognizing that was his own insecurity. You know, he needed the validation of whatever that meant to him mm. to feel, you know, that he was the man and he, you know, he had someone mm. that was, should mm. be in a higher position in his mind uh, based on the color of his skin. And mm. having a black woman wasn't enough credibility and didn't have enough like glitz and glam for who he wanted to represent him on his team. Um, I've had other instances where, you know, someone's questioned my intelligence and I thought it was race driven. I thought it was uh, related to me being a woman in a predominantly male work environment. And I put my foot down right there and there. And I said, I am smart. I absolutely am. Would you like to go degree for degree? Would you like to go, you know, resume for resume? So there's always going to be people, the haters that throw their little daggers. And if you let it kill your, your self-worth and create doubt, mm-hmm. it can absolutely sabotage your career path. It can mm-hmm. absolutely keep you stagnant. Um, but that just wasn't something that I was going to stand for. And, you know, whether it was reporting in the first instance, that person to human resources or, you know, reporting the other person to the board of directors, I knew that I was just not going to let them think that behavior was okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where it starts at too, I believe. I, I think it starts with you telling people that it isn't okay. Um, and I think that's that's sort of, I, I've been, you know, working in the industry for about 10 years and that's just mm-hmm. a new thing, you know, people. <laughs> they weren't doing that i got in so it, it believe it or not Melissa, i got in so many confrontations with people because i was just like you're not going to do this not with me we're not going to yeah, do this yeah. you don't want to you won't you don't want to do this with me and a lot of those people they didn't like me but i was like whatever like not on my set you know yeah so it's really interesting no, it used to be like the wild wild west there yeah. was it was a lawless entertainment society yeah, that's I a good one. Yeah. The West, the West. But at least you had enough, mm-hmm. like at least you had enough courage to actually say something about it. Because I feel like I've talked to so many women, and they're just like, "Oh, you know, I don't know if I can say anything. I don't know if that's going to stop my, you know, my career growth." And I think that there's all there's already like this stigma that being a woman you can't have it all because you know we have we have a time clock on when we can physically have kids and then you know everybody's like when they get in their 30s they're like i've been building my this career for x amount of years am i gonna get married am i gonna have a husband am i still gonna be respected when i have to like you know even though people they try to say well we have like a breastfeeding room but you're looking and you're you're thinking to yourself like am i going to still be valued the same way that my male counterparts are and especially in entertainment it's just like can you have this like well-rounded life and you actually have like a well-rounded huh? life for a mother you know your wife i saw on instagram you got married you have a baby and you're you're thriving and your career like how have you been able to find balance in all ports of your life and still succeed in all those areas 
Well, I, you you put the the pretty bow on it, but <laughs> you know, I, I I had to work, go to work every day while I was going through a divorce. I had to. Mm-hmm. Um, deal with the passing of my dad. You know, I actually was in my office at work when my ex-husband turned the bend to tell me that my father suddenly passed away. So there have been low moments where I had to really take an assessment of, of my own life. But I always, I don't know. It, I knew, I know what my goal is and you have to look at them as moments, but not the momentum. So there are little hiccups along the way and they they could be major, but you still have a whole life to live and you have to figure out how to navigate it. You just can't be stuck. Um, Going to therapy helps a lot with that and finding the balance, you know, as a a woman, a wife, a a mom, uh, knowing that you can communicate in a safe space to your teammates, I think helps a lot, especially now in, in COVID world. I'm like, hold on, she's screaming, she's watching Sesame, I'll be right back. Or if I have to bring her to my lap, if my husband is doing something, then people will deal and the work will still get done. So being transparent about the challenges has been extremely helpful to me. And then just keeping, you know, the vision of my future in mind, no matter what mistakes and happenstances got in the way of that. Yeah, I feel you on that. I mean, hold, hold such a weight, girl. How, how do you get from that to this? This is crazy. Now you are the vice president of social impact at Viacom. So can you... That's crazy. Just like hearing your story, it just really touched me. Just FYI, <laughs> you saying but that. I, I love how you didn't stop. It sounds like you, you never yeah. stopped living your life, even though you were climbing. Yeah. Because oftentimes, especially working in entertainment, it's just like that has to be your whole life. And then people, they, right. they blow up a situation like this is important and, and you can't be focused on anything other than this. But like you said, like life doesn't doesn't stop, you know. Um, People, you know, people pass away, um, you know, people get married, people get divorced, people have, have, you know, pregnancies, they have babies. And, and, and I think that's the thing, like you said, you always kept a vision of your future in mind. Um, cause, cause I feel like that's the art, that's the artist slash entrepreneur struggle. It's just like, it is, yeah. you can't just stop everything. But a lot of times, like, especially younger, I don't know for those of you watching out here, I know when I was younger in entertainment, it was like, nope, I have to put everything else on hold. And it's just like, well, you don't know when X, Y, and Z is going to happen. You can't stop it. <laughs> It's true. And I, I neglected the most important part was a support system. So mm. my husband totally holds it down while I'm working because we have opposite schedules. My mother is super grandma. She helps us out on the weekends so we can breathe and get to see each other face to face and have a drink. So having <laughs> a supportive network, whether that's family or, or friends that you have family by choice, is super important too. Yeah, that's awesome. So, can you can you tell us a little bit how about how you got to the point now in your life where you become the vice president of social impact at Viacom? 
because that's very specific. That's also a very specific title. Also, I was looking at that title. I'm like, that's a very. It, it looks like to me that they made that title just for you, just based on your history. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, for sure. When I saw the job description, I was like, wait, this is a little resume. I can do this in my sleep, and it's what I know and I love. But Viacom is a full circle moment for me because when I was 18 years old, my first ever internship was at the very building where I work now. And um, I was working in the radio department, but I'm still very close with my bosses at the time who have always supported me, you know, from 2002 to 2020. Um, and working and networking and, and speaking my capabilities into the universe is how I really landed here. Through LinkedIn, I was able to network with the previous president of MTV Networks. And I was hiring at the time for a position and he recommended one of his grad students to me for the role. I interviewed her the day before I went into labor, sight unseen by phone, because I trusted that if he was referring her, she was going to be an amazing candidate. And that turned out to be true. But I also knew, wait a minute, when I come back, I'm going to have to get some FaceTime with him too, so that I can let him know, you know, I'm looking to progress in my career and I would love to bring it back home to the Viacom CBS family. And about six months before the job came on the horizon, we had that meeting. I sold myself as if it was the job interview process and he kept me in mind. And post George Floyd, they recognized a very strong need to have someone with racial and social justice experience on staff as a resource to all of the departments. And that happened to fall under the social impact umbrella as VP. And after a, you know, pretty arduous hiring process, I was able to come on board. You know, I, when I was looking at your interviews, I was like, she really is like the epitome of like a network queen. Um, because I was looking, I looked at your LinkedIn and I saw like, we actually both worked at ACLU. I worked at ACLU as like a receptionist, like a, I'm in Oakland, California, in San Francisco, California for like a, a, a hot minute. Yeah. <laughs> yes, a hot minute. And I do remember when they were doing all the, the things with the cele uh, various celebrities, like I forget they had um, one girl from Orange is the New Black and she was speaking yeah. about various uh, various issues, but I was just like, you know, you have you each job that you've had, you it seems like you really have built relationships and kept those relationships and use and use them in your your next position. Like, what advice can you give like artists and entrepreneurs on like building relationships and keeping relationships mm -hmm. at the end? Well, when I look at my full circle moment, the very same people who knew me as an intern are some still in the same position that they held 19 years ago when I was there. But I treated them with respect and I honored the intelligence that they brought in the years of experience. But many of them also 
took my youth and my eagerness and maturity at the time and, and nurtured it so that I could, you know, have a really fruitful career. So I would say the people you see on the way going up are the same people you see on the way going down. So building relationships is really about treating people with kindness and respect as mm -hmm. you want to be treated um, and acknowledging everyone from the receptionist to the custodian to the VP has some expertise that they bring to their role that I don't know. And I wanna learn everything from everybody and ask a lot of questions um, and do it with my own personality and style where you know, people look to me as a friend in some cases or just a trusted colleague through keeping up with them and using social media over the years to applaud their wins and share mine and, you know, just keep that solid network continuing to grow. I like how you said add your own style because I think sometimes that people, they miss that. They're like, Okay, well, so-and-so says when you need to network and build relationships, you have to do it in this way, and then they become like a robot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello. No, you have to do it how or you Or put on your suit and... Right. But, you know, that's it's, it's really interesting that you're saying that because, you know, how many times have you been to a workshop and they tell you this is how you should do it <laughs> or this yes. is how this is the only way to do it because... This is a proven way for 25 years and then someone else comes out with something else mm -hmm. and it's like yeah. this is a proving way for another 25 years and yeah like and i just think way. generationally yeah. it changes i mean the same people that needed to fax a resume before are the same folks that are doing you know job applications on TikTok and sharing it so you just can't <laughs> You cannot approach it the same way year after year, day in, day out. Yes, and be and be open and be and be open. I think that's a thing. Cause anytime somebody's giving you advice, you still have to filter it through like yourself, your core core values, like you said, how you do things, and then you have to say, Oh, okay. Um, we we spoke with um uh, a casting director, Barbara Barno Abel, and she was like, "Yeah, I read this book," and she's like a legend, and like as a hosting casting director. And she was like, "Yeah, I read this book," and this expert said this, and I was like, "Well, that's fine for you." But uh -huh. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> you know, um, but that that also brings me to my next question because um, I I was able to look at all of the documentaries that you. Um, executive produced, and I also saw that that's how you met your husband, which I thought was so cute. I was like, look at them, look at them in their little, their like love story. Um, but you know, I know that um, you've been able to like engage with communities across the nation by tackling issues such as like uh, gun violence, mass incarceration, um, poverty, racial injustice. Like, how were you? Uh, then you also use the term that you were an early adapter adopter to um, social justice entertainment, correct? Um, like, how are you able to identify hmm. that market and start creating films around issues that you were passionate about? Well, I give all credit to filmmakers. They There are so many brilliant storytellers right now that I have just been blessed to have 
their work lands in my lap and be able to amplify it with the things that I bring to the table. So that's partnership opportunities, media exposure opportunities, influencer work. Um, and so I can't take any credit for the incredible pieces of art that they produce. It is my job to just take it and show it to as many people as possible. And so, because when you are an artist, you're honing in and you're focused on the editorial and you're focused on you know, your filming opportunities, a social impact producer is someone that can come in and say, you know, there are certain groups and audiences that are gonna be so compelled and moved by the particular subject area that this film embodies, we have to ensure that strategically we get this piece of work in front of them. And so that could be with criminal justice, knowing that law school students are a target audience and there's someone that can have a really fruitful conversation and dialogue and hopefully move the needle in society um, whether that be with criminal law reform, gun violence, and the like. Um, so yeah, it, it, being an early adapter has just meant recognizing that stories of social justice are what have the ability to change hearts and minds in society because we're so content driven now. Um, mm -hmm. If you put something in a book, no one will ever know. But if you can make a beautiful piece of film or video or audio, art and the like, people are gonna receive it much better. Mm. Because very... media drives culture. Media drives culture, yeah. you know? And it's always been that way. I think even in medieval times, they, they've talked about that, how like, you know, the arts, they influence society. And I think it's the same, it's the same now. Um, you know, um, it's so interesting because I see how you, you know, you went from working for like ACL, working in the music industry to working at like ACLU. Um, and I remember, I think it's Think Big, you worked there uh, for that organization. And I'm so nosy, Tish knows. I'm just, I'm like so nosy. I'm just like, I, I, <laughs> I was like, let me see what she's doing. What is she doing? <laughs> Like, what's going on? Um, your curiosity. Yes, yes. My, my, my curiosity was definitely peaked. But one thing that I noticed is that you went from different organizations and different companies, and it seemed like you continuously like elevated, whether it was like in skill or um, just working for a bigger company. Um, how did you prepare yourself for opportunities as they presented themselves? Because this season is all about being opportunity ready. And it seems like you were always ready for opportunity when it came. So I never saw the smaller opportunities as small. I always came in and said, you know, this is the expectation based on the job description but this is what I know that I can bring to amplify the role and make it bigger and better than they could have ever imagined. And so with that, you know, each opportunity allowed me to further my skill set, you know, using areas where I could ask for professional development in the yeah. role, whether that was through attending workshops, conferences were major presenting, but also being a member of the audience and learning um, allowed me to just keep, you know, piling on, piling on um, in order to get with the next level 
of my career required that I bring and know. Um, so complacency is something that I just don't have a tolerance for. I'm always seeking mm -hmm. opportunities to continue to learn and grow and network so that I'm prepared for the next level when the opportunity presents itself. Can we have that quote? Right. Again, complacency. Can, can we say that again? Because that's a whole quote right there. That's a whole thing. Yes. So we're about to put sure, that I on remember what I just said. No, but don't be complacent. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole that's a whole quote right there. We're gonna have to put your name under that quote. Blame, blame. Yes, we'll post that on Instagram. And we will make it a thing, Melissa. We'll make it a thing. Like it's gonna be a whole thing because that's what I love it. Let's make it a hashtag. Yeah, a whole thing because that's what and we do. We'll here. Be, and then we'll be quoting our other episode. But like Melissa said, never be. <laughs> Melissa said. <laughs> that's exactly. Um, you know, Melissa. So much has happened in the pandemic. Um, I I was curious to know what your take. Um, is on, you know, in the pandemic, it brought like racial injustice and, um, you know, just everything to a head. Um, mm -hmm. And we, for the first time, we saw like white people taking accountability for their privilege and people and companies and organizations speaking out on like racism. Um, how do you think that the entertainment industry um, has been affected or will be affected and how can people of color position themselves for like what's to come? Mm. I don't think that organizations, corporate America is able to hide anymore. Everything is, you know, up for examination and up for um, critique. And so there's Instagram pages like pull up for change that are asking them directly, show us your numbers. What are your diversity numbers? Who's in the C-suite? What's the makeup of your board? And we're gonna hold you to task and we're gonna use the power of consumerism to ensure that you are staying focused now and we're not gonna let you backtrack into you know, the ways of pre-April and George Floyd. It was a perfect storm mm -hmm. of us all being home in quarantine, this tragedy occurs and it's on a loop in front of us day in, day out, day in, day out. And so I think that a, a unique moment in time occurred that we probably could have never had at any other space and that the right people are moving the needle and making sure that exposure happens and people are put on front street that you know hid behind the closed doors of us not knowing what their books looked like and what their staff looked like and their board and decisions that they were making um there's just no more time to hide and so from the entertainment industry's perspective i see a lot of empowerment for reality tv cast members of color see a lot of empowerment opportunities for uh, directors and producers of color, where now that folks can't hide their hands, they're being given increased opportunities to have their talent seen. And society as a whole is clamoring for diversity 
in the content that we're, you know, indulging ourselves in across many, many different types of platforms. Right, right. Wow, that is crazy. But you know, I, I kind of, didn't you kind of feel like this was, a change was coming? I remember when I got out of school and I was, I was, um, I got out of school at the same time that like um, a scandal came on TV and awkward black girl had her show and I just started to see like voices that I hadn't seen before. And I felt like there was a shift, like there was something happening in the world because you started to see different faces that, you know, I'm a 90, I'm a 90s kid. So I remember when, you know, you had all the black shows, you had the living singles, you had the Martins. And then at one period, probably like 99 to like up until like, maybe even 2012, it was just like non-existent. Like where's the black entertainment, you know, right. like what happened to the movement? It just completely just, I felt like it just halted, you know, like there wasn't, you weren't seeing people of color and diversity on TV as much. And uh, w when that happened then, I felt like there was gonna be a difference and I started to see it, but then it started to do that thing that it did in 1999, where it started to go back. I don't know if you guys were right, just noticing right. that, but it was starting to shift back to how it was, where it just became a trend and it wasn't a change. You know, so mm -hmm. it's really, really interesting that you're saying that we can hold people accountable now because there was before there was really nothing that we were we could do really <laughs> to hold yeah, them accountable, yeah. but oh, just say, Oh, cool. well, you're not doing it, and they were just like, Whatever. <laughs> I think that's oh, what yeah. the game too. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Melissa. No, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Oh. Keep unpacking. Yeah. Well, I was, I was, I, I forget. Um, I was looking, researching the head of talent and acquisition, I believe, for Netflix, and they specifically created like a department for. Um, I, I don't want to get this wrong, but for inclusivity, because mm -hmm. they wanted to have content that specifically reflected. Um, reflected not only Americans, but just, I mean, everybody. So I think when they did that and Netflix just took over streaming, you started to see like real looking people being cast. Like you didn't have to be like this beautiful model. I mean, you saw like the quirky girl, you saw, you know, they have Nollywood, you saw different ethnicities even being given like their kind of section on Bollywood, Nollywood. And I think that kind of, if there was a shift, it, well, when there was a shift, I think that Netflix had a lot. And other people were like, people were like, well, why would I watch because before it was like when they cast things, it was like you had to imagine, yeah. you know, imagine yeah. the, like the quirky nerdy girl or, you know, even a girl that was maybe plus size, she was a little plus size, she wasn't actually plus size. And then Netflix was like, no, no, we're going to actually put that on the screen. And then other viewers were like, well, you don't want to watch that if you're just right. like this. And so then people had to adapt. So I'm curious to know what you think about that, <laughs> Melissa. I think you nailed it. The old time like cable barons where, you know, here in New York, we had channel two, four, seven, nine, 11, and that was it. And you had to rely on them to feed us the content mm -hmm. that we were covering for. It was so easy for them to stay homogenous and just speak to the majority. And I think Netflix 
YouTube with Awkward Black Girl, like as we matured mm -hmm. and we had so many other options to go to for content, it put the pressure on them to say, you know what, people are looking for a world that is really representative of where we are in society today. And so the cookie cutter friends model where no black people live in New York City is just not gonna mm. cut it anymore. There's all, we're also, you know, susceptible to social critique because the power is at our fingertips now. We don't have to rely on Entertainment Weekly and people, the bloggers and the shade room is gonna let the people know what's really going on. <laughs> mm, that is true. Yes, that's true. You know what's so interesting too when you were talking about Netflix? I remember it hadn't been like two or three years ago that at Cannes that people were really giving Netflix a hard time. But now this year, especially, everyone's talking about Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. But before, people weren't really because of the moves that they were taking to have like bigger films come to Netflix and more diversity. Like the industry, they really look down on Netflix, but now everybody always just talks about Netflix, Netflix, Netflix now. It's so interesting how like this industry also just denies change sometimes. Like they just, they just revolt against it, but people will speak, the people will speak. <laughs> And there's Girl. nothing you can do about it, industry. I know. And I think a lot of the challenges that the the old stalwarts of the industry had with Netflix is that <laughs> they don't make their numbers visible. So you don't really know, is it getting 100 views or 100 million views? And so mm -hmm. that when people don't have all of that information at their fingertips, they feel uneasy. And they want to take down, you know, the competitor who is putting them in that predicament. Um, but, you know, good content is good content, as you said, so they couldn't really yeah. fight it much longer. Right. So the power of consumerism. Like you said, the consumers, they'll, they'll speak, they'll speak. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. That is so interesting. But, you know, I, I it's, it's, it's really been encouraging. I've, I've been watching a lot of like Amazon and stuff and it's really been encouraging really seeing more black writers. I don't know if you like, if you guys pay attention to like the writers rooms or like I look at the list of names and I was like, hmm, that name sounds ethnic. <laughs> and, I'll and I'll just look them up. Um, yes. So it's been, it's been, <laughs> it's been really, <laughs> It's been really interesting to see also uh, a shift in behind the scenes writers who are writing authentic voices for people of color and not just like black people, but like I've seen some Asian people, I've seen some, you know, um, Asian Americans, like Indian Americans. Um, so like what people don't, and my husband always says this, a strong black America is a, a strong America. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he always says, um, and it's and and that's true because when there's a change in Black America, there's a change for all ethnicities because we scream. We're like <laughs> change, change, change. Right. You know, right. So, so I want to I, I want us to talk a little bit more about like your mindset. You know, because we talk a lot about like logistics and we talk a lot about how you can get places, but one thing that this is usually Darkoya's thing, but we always talk about is 
you know, being in a space and a place when you can achieve these things and, you know, it's not really, really an, an easy thing to do, but are there things, um, and I know you talked a little bit about your support system, but are there things that you do, you know, do you have a routine? You talk, <laughs> it's always about process, Melissa. It's you always have a about process. process. Do you have a process? <laughs> My process is preparation. So before I go into a meeting, I take my notebook, I sketch out like the top line items that I want to make sure that I address. You know, at a certain point in my upbringing in the industry, I was much more shy than I am now, but I knew make sure that you speak twice. And all you have to do is speak twice and then you can shut down for the rest of the meeting. So it was almost like the Sasha Fierce Beyonce and having to convince myself, you know, and put on this persona. And that was a lot of my process. Like, no, when I go in here, I am, you know, Melissa Fierce and I'm going to leave <laughs> any doubt that I had about my abilities to speak and represent on the table because I, I have the knowledge, but the preparation is what gave me comfort in and security and bringing that knowledge to the table. So doing a lot of research, preparation on question asking, finding out who's gonna be in the room, looking at their LinkedIn, seeing what articles have been written about them. Um, all those are the little things that I keep in my toolkit that help me feel like my best self in my work settings. Mm. Well, I do that too. I'm happy that I'm on the right track. <laughs> Melissa Fierce, huh? huh we're going yes, to have to Melissa Fierce. Melissa Fierce. Well, well, Melissa, we're coming to the end of, uh, we know you have to feed baby baby um, Hudson Ray um, over there. So we don't want to keep you too long. She's so cute. Um, but you talked about being, you welcome. But you talked about being like Sasha Fierce. And we always ask everybody like, do you have like a mantra or life anthem? Like what's your mantra or life or life anthem for getting like your mindset right and staying motivated? Like maybe it's a song or a quote or even a phrase that you say. Huh, let me think. What is my like game time coming F-ish up? Um, <laughs> it's it's really <laughs> It's probably, you know, I put on some Jay-Z song about hustling because that's what this is. We are out here on the yeah. corporate block, hugging the block, <laughs> doing what, cutting hey. it up, doing what I done. Hey. So, <laughs> anything in the trap genre is going to encourage me. You know, my husband, he, he will set up my workstation in the morning and put on Anita Baker, Smooth Jazz, you know. Oh. But, he knows that if I'm preparing for a big meeting, the soundtrack is going to change. So, music <laughs> powers it. You know, I, I'm so still entrenched in the music business. I still love everything about it. I think it's in such an interesting state right now. I love listening to culture critics like the Joe Budden Show and mm. Ben Lathan and the Breakfast Club and you know, getting a lot of intel from my peers in this space that can come at it from a different lens. Because sometimes I want to give a critique, but I'm also mindful of 
where I stand in the industry, there are so many people I have to work with and come in contact with. So my critiques need to come from a place of love and not necessarily what I might comment on a fence the page about <laughs> the work that I'm putting out there. Oh, that's right. That's, I really like um, Jay-Z, man. Jay-Z always has something He's just kind of like, he has his own like quotes going on. I think, I'm, you know yeah. what? I think I'm going to make a running list of like quotes that I like. I love that. Yeah, Share it with There's a book, a guy, he does a lot of um, like things with youth in the community. And he oh. actually put together a book of um, like, uh, positive quotes. And they're all based off of like hip hop artists. I'll, um, I'll send that. that guys yes one of my friends um is friends with him and i forget um shakia i'll send it to you but they he, he did he sourced all of them because he was just yeah. like people don't realize that like rap songs really are like motivating you know yeah. so um, and every once in a while I'll, I'll put on homecoming on netflix and just looking at beyonce and how she put that <laughs> incredible Coachella event together, Baychella, that's motivating too. Oh, wouldn't y'all say Beyonce is her what? Her um life or something? Wouldn't y'all say Beyonce was? Oh, yeah, so um, um, one of our friends. Sorry, guys. Can you, can you hear me now? It keeps, it keeps muting itself. Can you hear me no. now? Yeah. Now? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, oh! I don't know why it's doing that. All right, hold on. You now our friends, all the technology, the technology. Um, our friend said that Beyonce was her brand. She was, yeah. She said Beyonce was her brand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> basically, basically. So Beyonce is a whole brand for people. So. I'm here. If you can hear me, I can hear you. Uh, I can hear you too. You know, my, we have a, um, we're just going to keep it real with everybody on here. So me and Tish, we both have like podcast mics. And for whatever reason, my podcast mic wanted to act up. So I just took it out. Can you? Like, <laughs> and I just use a regular Apple, um, Apple, uh, the Apple mic, which is probably fine. My Mac mic. So that's okay. But Melissa, it has literally been such a pleasure having you here on the show. Like, like I said, I already think that you're the epitome of black girl magic, just because it's not, it's not only what you're doing and I know that you're the vice president of Viacom, but I just love how you're just really like impacting and changing the community. And you're just, I know that you're very passionate about what you do because it's it's the heartbeat in everything that you do. So, um, and so I, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, because we always forget about this. Big ups to our sponsors. Can we say yes. hello to people who are supporting the community, yes. the black people? Yes. So I was gonna get. I was gonna get to that, bestie. I was gonna get to that. Okay. And this and thank you to our sponsors. This episode was brought to you by Blue Lizard Bar and Grill and Desserts. If you're in the Charleston, South Carolina area, hit up Blue Lizard go. Bar and Grill. We love you, Kenny. If you're in the San Francisco Bay area, hit up Desserts for all of your holiday treats. We love you, D'Artagnan. Um, and yeah. Um, 
thank you all to wa for watching. I mean, we've had some incredible episodes this season. Um, Melissa is kind of, uh, we have one more episode after that and then our finale. So we just want to thank you all out there for watching. Um, we hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And, and yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show, Melissa. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it anytime. We're trying to get on your level, Melissa. We're coming. We're trying to get there. Yeah. We're trying to get there. I'm trying to get. I'm all the way trying to get there. All the way trying to get there. Yeah, I want to be like you when I grow. We trying. All right, thank you guys. And guys, we thank you. We're gonna see you next week, Thursday. And also, just remember, my ebook just came out, The Artistpreneur. If you are looking for ways to be on your baby come up, as the bestie will say, done. Like I am saying, then my Artistpreneur book is dropping December fifteenth. You can pre-order now for fifty percent off of the book. So let's get. Oh, I totally forgot. And our friend to the show, um, our friend Liana has a youth nonprofit non for youth called a, the Youth Exposure Project. So they're doing a campaign called Giving Tuesdays. They're um, providing opportunities to underprivileged youth to mm -hmm. expose them to various career opportunities. So Friday is the last day to donate to their cam campaign. So if you go on Instagram at Exposure Project, that's E-X-P-O-S-U-R-E-P-R-O, J E T uh, sorry J E C okay that's all right J E C okay J E C T bestie let me just finish your words for you <laughs> exposure okay. sorry no I my phone my um I don't know why my computer is messing up but I usually have it on do not disturb and I just received a phone call so I don't know what's going on but please donate to them um they're doing amazing work with North Carolina youth. And, you know, as you all know, I love the kids. I don't play about the kids. <laughs> so uh, go ahead and donate. They all they almost met their um, $10,000 um, goal. So we love you all. Have a great evening. Thank you so much, Melissa. Bye. Thank you, guys. Bye.